0: Powered by volunteer community involvement, this is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.
1: This is Olivia, and you're listening to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Bikini Drive-In's mission is to analyze horror films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of and media studies, arts criticism, and gender studies. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning and listener discretion is advised. Also, spoilers ahead. So a few weeks ago, Jill and I hosted a live discussion on Dario Argento's 1975 film, Deep Red. The show was really fun, and lots of people came out to the screening, but unfortunately, the recording was a little hinky, so we're back with a regular show. Hinky. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, this week, we're talking again about Dario Argento's Deep Red.
0: Let me ask you something. Did you move anything or change something around or take anything away from here? Maybe that painting was made to disappear because it represented something important. Something so important you don't even realize it. Important. Important. That painting. Ah! What was that? (laughs) I don't know who you are, but you gotta help me. There's somebody in the house. He's absolutely trying to kill me, you know?
1: and a wisecracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses a brutal murder of a psychic. Jill, what is your history with Deep Red? Good question. I have
0: no idea. <laughs> I watched the film with you just the other day, on a Monday, mm-hmm. which was a really nice refresher. Uh, also so fun to watch it with you. Um, and it was funny though while watching it, because I've seen it before, and I think in my early 20s during a giallo phase alongside a blur of stilted dramatic hyper films because <laughs> you can ingest giallo films so easily yeah. and um, i think it was like along with all the colors of the dark and the red queen kills seven times and what have you done with solange and so there were these certain like really vivid deja vu moments uh of the film, of, of thinking of, you know, the first time I'd, I'd watched it and then what kind of really imprinted for me. So one of those moments when he's in the plaza uh, and Marcus runs into Carlos, who's stumbled, bumming around, <laughs> and it was like, ah, I've been here before. But also that moment, just, it, that plaza feels so resonant of Suspiria, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then you also reminded me that we saw, uh, when we saw Goblin play at... The Park Theatre here in Winnipeg. They first played Suspiria, and then they had this film uh, playing afterwards. So it was very cool to be able to watch watch this work with the original uh, sound sound score. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's this really distinct Argento world, like the hot, dark, highly contrasted, e- echoing plaza is something we've experienced for another works so obviously like Suspiria, and I was surprised at that being a really resonantly giallo effect. Like this echoing space of like brutalist architecture and muted tones that mm-hmm. are devoid of others, um, or or like others being in the frame but still and motionless and almost like uh, mannequins. Mm-hmm. And there's then then like that empty bar where both Marcos, Marcus, and Carlos work. It's so surreal and so stark. Anyway, so I was just surprised at how my memories were recalling this work. Um and how how Giallo films with this film are being imprinted through like a sense of space, uh, rather than killings mm-hmm. or, or like violent murders or the the blood mm-hmm. or the black gloves, like these other yeah. kind of um pillars of the of the Giallo yeah. genre. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but yes, what is Olive, what is your history with
1: profondorous. So um I feel like <laughs> Like with a lot of people, my first introduction to Argento was Suspiria. So when I first watched Deep Red, I think I was expecting the same style of film. And Suspiria is very much a fairy tale and has its own rules. Deep Red does too, but I think it's more of a detective story that is based in reality. And I honestly, I don't think I like got it initially. And even even when we were watching it together the other day and like with a group of people like in the theater, there were some parts that were both like, We were just like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And, like, I don't know. After viewing it in the theater, like, I feel like it's a bit long. And there's parts that don't make sense. And I just find the Marcus character, like, completely boring. Yeah. Like, I still enjoy parts of it. And you just kind of have to, like, accept that as, like, with Italian films from the 1970s. Yes.
0: I know. I know exactly what you mean of that. Like, oh, this not making sense. Like, it's such a joyful... Like it's it almost like assists with that like comedic
1: yeah, thing yeah. too because
0: you as a viewer then are able to kind of chuckle at the situation and, and I mean something that I appreciate generally about the film medium is the ability to explore like non-linear notions of time and abstracted uh, abstracted sensations of reality mm-hmm. and so to notice when something might not like make sense is this really rich moment to delve into the affect offered by that scene mm-hmm. and then Jelena's yeah, also seem to have this next level of convolution. Like, there's so many red herrings yes. and like bumbling idiots. Like, we yeah. see like Marcus is like yeah. so useless. Yeah. And the cops and whatever. And then also this like lack of conclusion. Yeah. There's this tendency to kind of be, you know, unfinished, or not like, like unresolved, but unresolved. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah just... Completely. Because at the end of the film, it's just the killer, spoiler alert, it's Carlos's mom <laughs> whose head is just kind of cut off by accident. And then Marco was just like left, sort of like looking dazed and look, gazing into this pool of blood. Yeah. And then the credits start rolling.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. It's almost, it's it's almost com- comical. Yeah. Like yeah.
1: It's, it's so so sudden. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite scenes or shots that stand out to you? It, it I hear you with it being long. <laughs> it's also so beautiful. Yeah. I really, I
0: really do like it. And then as as you said earlier, having watched it in a live theater setting where you pick up on different things mm-hmm. and now that it's kind of sat in us uh, it's really nice to to think of to think about what certain scenes are mm-hmm. remaining I love there's something about the author's house I can't remember her name Rebecca. Amanda
1: Amanda she's pink, pink. You know, you know what her like styling reminds me of what Brittany murphy and in girl interrupted <gasps> her like cardigan oh, and her like so wig sad. like curled hair it makes
0: me think of like a
1: john waters
0: movie yeah like there's something so like perky and like kind of out of place yes yeah, like she looks
1: her. like from the hairspray or something yeah, also yeah, like yeah. her it's so acting is like so odd and stilted melodramatic but also kind of bad <laughs> like the acting in this is like oh it's, kind of bad <laughs> it's perfect
0: <laughs> yeah but it's something about like her house it's not so her how she dies is like so awful and visceral yeah but there's also something with the house on the highway it's mm-hmm. isolated her maid is so charming and funny mm-hmm. um and then there's like yeah the squawking buck birds and mm-hmm. the bathroom that steamy bathroom mm-hmm. so that is the scene i love um i also really love uh, the scene—it's obviously a very like iconic scene—is <laughs> when Marcus, after the psychic has been killed or whatever, Marcus hears her mm-hmm. scream. Whatever, uh, he enters the home, and who's his neighbor? Mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on that until later. I anyway. think she like lives above him. Yeah, they mm-hmm. live in the same building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we glimpse the reflection of the killer in the mirror, and that moment where we as the viewer are joined with Marcus together in this really beautiful eerie trick of perception mm-hmm. it's just like so fantastic
1: i also really love that she that the killer is there because yes! sometimes with her like presence. with like flashback or a scene like that in like film noir or even other yellow films like that person wouldn't necessarily be there totally to yeah. have her as a, that you it, it's <clears throat> this it's it's like that is so eerie
0: it's so spooky the fact mm-hmm. that you as a viewer are like seeing that moment Mm -hmm. is like it really sticks with me yeah um and then there's also that really lovely scene where Ricci who's assumed to be Carlos's partner Mm -hmm. um and when they're together in the doorway saying goodbye and it's this really brilliant scene and that Argento is working this I'm like really advanced maybe Mm. I don't know I'm kind of using quotations perhaps but it's like gender fuckery in the mid-70s in a giallo film that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Mm -hmm. So Ricci is a gay man played by a woman in drag and Carlo is saying goodbye to Ricci and Marcus is standing right there and there's this really tender moment where it feels as though they should kiss or they want to and that goodbye is like so tense and tender and it's so loving.
1: That is a really interesting scene and we'll get to this a little bit later on kind of talking about like the machoism or like Marco's sort of like playing at being macho in certain, in certain points. And I feel like maybe in in other movies at that time, like a scene like that, like Marco or Marcus, not Marco, sorry. Marcus would have been, would have said something like Mm. degrading or shitty or homophobic, right? but it doesn't. It's just like kind of a moment that passes. Yeah. That moment. Like, yeah, it,
0: yeah, it is because there is this expectation because of his Mm -hmm. character being, he said some like, bad things about women like he obviously is like not very not an ally yeah not an ally he's not woke like he's not with it uh but yeah but the fact that that moment just yeah like it it really lingers it really like Mm -hmm. sits with you it's it's really fascinating Mm -hmm. i mean we'll talk we'll talk more on of Marcus and... on Marcus and feminism, or yeah, whatever. whatever's happening, whatever's
1: happening, but yeah,
0: and then okay, this isn't so much a scene, but I really love Professor Gio- Giordani, the other parapsychologist. His death is like, oh, <laughs> <ugh>, it's awful. <laughs> and for anyone <laughs> with like teeth, stuff sensitivities, like, don't it's it's ridiculous. But him as an actor, or something about he must do like stage stuff. I just love him,
1: but also like it's another bad actor
0: over the top I yeah
1: yeah it's dramatic so dramatic.
0: It's so dramatic yeah I just love them. uh
1: what about you what are your favorite um I love the psychic Helga Ullman Beautiful. so stylish so dramatic and like over the top maybe it's bad but she's just so like chic and wonderful so when the water comes out of her mouth. oh my god and she just like spits <laughs> on stage so good um so I say more psychic less, less Marcus yes
0: yes yeah.
1: I can Um, I also really enjoyed the scene where I'm assuming it's in the point of view of the killer looking over the toys and miniatures and the music by Goblin starts. Mm -hmm. It feels like a second credit sequence and um, that almost like announces the arrival of the killer. Um, And then it's followed by a close-up shot of someone applying this very thick, very glossy black eyeliner. And I think this is an interesting shot because, because of some of the gender fuckery themes like, like you mentioned earlier, because films like Psycho, which portrayed the trans killer trope audiences of the time were very like primed for either like a cross dressing or trans villain in horror films. And I feel like the sequence winks at that trope, but it ultimately subverts it because it is a female character. And yeah, I feel like makeup, especially at the time is still like very gendered. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And another sort of element that is like a red herring or just kind of like confusing is the fact that Argento played the killer's hands and I believe like whenever the killer's like in shadow so it, it Argento has a very like different frame mm. different build than like the, the mom character yeah. so yeah again it just kind of like tricks the audience in that way or is like kind of winking to this right. kind of trope
0: yeah it, it, it is playing with that that's very yeah
1: yeah yeah um also, fun fact: um, the film is filmed in uh, Turin, Italy. Um, Argento chose this location because it apparently hosts the highest population of practicing Satanists. Oh. Fun. <laughs> yeah, so um, we can talk a little bit about um, giallo films. Uh, gialli are stylish European murder mystery films, and the genre stems from cheap and popular mystery novels. The height of giallo film of giallo films occurred between 1968 and 1978 with the years 1971 to 1973 being particularly successful with 65 giallo films being produced during this period which is mental that's so yeah um so there are a couple of distinctive elements of giallo films so we have a lavish set designed with vivid, vivid bold colors and dreamlike surreal qualities exceptional costume design acts of violence and murder blood and gore nudity and eroticism Psychosexual desires from the killer and other forms of psychological madness. A murder mystery, often with someone acting as an amateur detective. Red herrings to throw off the protagonist and the audience. This one is like very specific and very funny, but like beautiful middle-class women who have their lives either interrupted or ended. Ooh, <laughs> and then, I'm a, sure. yeah, <laughs> and then a menacing and jarring soundtrack. So Argento's first film, *The Bird with the Crystal Plumage*, from 1970 is really the blueprint blueprint for all Argento movies and Giallo films in general. It first introduced the gloved hands and the knives and a tendency, a tendency towards strange supporting actors. Um, it's also a film about seeing and memory, which is a very prominent theme in Deep Red as well. Um, it's also a sort of like fish out of water themes, as we've seen as other films. So the protagonist set up their element. In Bird with, with the Crystal Plumage, Um, Tony, plays an American in Rome who witnesses a murder. David Messings, who plays Marcus in Deep Red, is a London jazz pianist in Rome. And Jessica, Jessica Harper, who plays Susie Banyan in Suspiria from 1977, is an American visiting a German school. And we just see that Argento's characters are outsiders forced into a dark sort of underworld of a land that is not natural to them. And deep red is essentially a remake or rehashing of similar themes that can be seen in Bird with the Crystal Plumage.
0: Totally, I feel like I there's a podcast that talks about how like Argento with Bird with the Crystal Plumage kind of kicked off the genre because it got like whoa, well, I feel like 1972, 73 it was like hyper,
1: just pumped out so
0: many. And then with this film in '75, it was kind of this like accumulation. A denouement. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and like, yeah, it it kind of finished off the <laughs> uh, the the genre as a mm-hmm. is So I feel like that's so rare that a director would like have such kind of bookends of.
1: Mm-hmm. of yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, it's very much like the the pulp of films, which as you said, yeah, you can see very much how directors such as like Quentin Tarantino. We're influenced by this aesthetic. Also, so much of it reminds me of Scooby Doo. Like, Haha, Yeah, You're the killer, I just, I love it. And the little hints at it, like, again, yeah. that eyeliner. And yeah, I just, I love Scooby. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they make, like, consumable or approachable, palatable, uh, the vast changes of 1970s mm-hmm. Italy. And in watching this film now, what feels like a lot of times lately, <laughs> and yeah. reading quite a bit about it. I've been really curious about how the giallo genre approaches modernity and this is not you know my original idea this is something that's been quite discussed often Uh, but it seems to be like a reaction and perhaps conservatively or aggressively so a reaction all the same to modernity Mm -hmm. and and there's a lot of ambivalence to modernity in giallo films firstly in regards to the language like many giallo films are dubbed which alludes to the film's self-awareness of its own artificiality, Mm -hmm. the dubbing technology and dubbing process, although subtle for me in this
1: film, actually. um, But it brings the film to this heightened place of Mm self-referentiality. And on that note of self-referentiality, referentiality, referentiality, um, in the dubbed version of the film, um, I believe the voice actresses who dubbed Gianna Brezzi, that's the um, Daria Nicolotti character, Mm -hmm. and Carlo's mother, I think they also did the voices for Olga and Helena Marcos in Suspiria, which came out two years later. And this, yeah, this kind of lends this kind of uncanniness to Argento's worlds, and it's kind of this like flattening of this universe, of this multiverse, and like, yeah, where it's like the actresses (laughs) are different, but their dubbed voices are the same. I interesting to me. me. Love when that happens. Like, I love how like obviously David Lynch plays with that. Mm -hmm. Also on a
0: more uh low scale i love like you know, those theories of like the office and parks and rec <laughs> occurring in the same escape, universe explain <laughs> yes there's theories of the office and parks and rec occur in the same multiverse which is like my quarantine COVID brain is like oh, just loves that world <laughs> so that dull dunder world but yes, obviously, David Lynch kind of takes it to the next level. Um, but yes, this is also interesting in this film, as there are so many moments that feel like a stage production. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out to me in viewing it, the composition of the plaza where Marcus and Carlo are speaking is like very Shakespearean blocking, where mm-hmm. the, the people, the actors, the little men look so small. Um, and then there's that open, that Beautiful opening scene in the Teatro Carignano <laughs> Theatre. I don't know if I'm saying that at all correctly. But it, yeah, it again actually brings, past to mind, like a Lynchian kind of awareness of presentation mm-hmm. that we as the audience are watching a curated and combed through and edited production. We are viewing the scene as this proscenium arch, which I can see, hands moving? <laughs> and it's also, yes, because of our gentleman's gloves.
1: Yeah, too. and that's Either interesting. You're talking about the, one of the opening scenes where it's like a point-of-view shot of someone walking to the theater and you the curtain's going curtains. like... Yeah. Is that supposed to be the Carlos's mother character and therefore it's the point-of-view of the killer, which is then lending... In, inviting the audience to sort of identify with the killer. Mm-hmm. Or the villain. I
0: assume so. I, yeah, I think... Also because when there's that moment where the... Uh,
1: or the killer psychologist, yeah. yeah. The
0: killer leaves, and you're like trundling through, and then the curtains close. Yeah, or it looks like they're going to the washroom, kind yeah. of going like state right, and yeah, like I do feel that there's an identity also because you're seeing in that moment where you're kind of people are having to scooch in their seats mm-hmm. to let you through you're... There's an eye contact. Like, they are looking
1: at you mm-hmm. as this
0: person. So absol- I absolutely agree But there's this identification with her. Yeah. And then let al- let alone then when you see her again, there's this consistent... Yeah. She's such a delightful character that you absolutely, I think I meant to identify with. Mm-hmm. And then also with later on, too, even because Marcus is such a bumbling... Yeah. He's a bore. Yeah. And then when she keeps on um, misremembering or like perhaps purposely. Oh, and everyone just thinks
1: he's an engineer. An
0: engineer. <laughs> oh, the engineer. And yeah. all, and he, correcting her all yeah. glumly. And it's like, it's just, she's such a, like, Um
1: hmm. To go back to your point about um, Marcos and Carlo Lickin in the plaza. Yeah. And they keep having to shout. And again, it, this, this movie is mm-hmm. almost like, has these very comedic moments. Mm-hmm. But like in this like very grand sort of Shakespearean like scene, I and mean, then they can't even like communicate or hear each other. It's very silly. Their voices are getting
0: taken suddenly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's so silly. It's mm-hmm. so
0: silly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very funny. And yeah, there's an awareness. Like even yeah, like the director's hands being the gloves. Like we're so witness to this process, and and then thinking of them shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. Like we're so so aware that we're watching this like strange production. Yeah, it's uh yeah, and I'm curious. This is perhaps a bit of an unfinished thought, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking again, bring it back to this modernity or ambivalence mm-hmm. toward it, modernity. So, well, many giallo films deal with travelers and airports. Uh as you've mentioned, they deal a lot with like foreigners, people from elsewhere mm-hmm. kind of inserted and experiencing underbellies of, of different communities. Uh, but there's this very like Mark Oj. Ian notion of nonplace, which is like people moving together yet apart through spaces of animosity and transience. So it's often, yeah, like train stations, subway stations, hotel lobbies, airports. Um and this film navigates this movement on kind of this this like micro or localized scale. And there's a because like in thinking of like them being neighbors, him and mm-hmm. the psychologist. Or through the plaza where they're in this kind of big, vast empty space but they're yelling at each other across. Or or even when we see them there's that moment in the plaza where there's like three women who can hear the conversation. Every once in a while they look but they're very still. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a strange a strange like a disconnect. disconnect. Yeah, and I which is really interesting to, to watch. Mm-hmm. There's also yeah, like a silliness and a slapstick approach to travel in the automobile mm-hmm. as we see in <laughs> Gianni <laughs> Bernetti's shitty broken car <laughs> like modernity doesn't save us modernity is not a progress and progress is obviously like a problematized term mm-hmm. yeah like that scene where marcos is like has to sit so much lower mm-hmm. and just um but it's also really interesting to note this film's conflation of violence and tools or objects of modernity such as in carlos's death where he's <laughs> you know, dragged along by a vehicle. And the very, like, final destination. So you know, <laughs> it's so silly and drawn out. Very final destination. But yeah, it's it's like vehicle and city mm-hmm. caused. Um, and then the hot water and steam, which is a system, uh, product of modernity that kills the author, yet provides her also with the means of communication as she trails her finger through the steam to articulate mm-hmm. the Um And then there's Martha, obviously being killed by the elevator with her, bejeweled necklace being caught in it which Mm -hmm. is also very interesting Uh, but yeah there are many instances of the systems around the characters failing the cops really can't be expected to show up and solve anything people pass each other like they're moving around the subway station there's this yeah animosity there's that um yeah yeah like there's this and insane even in thinking of the scene where we see the killer through the mirror where you like glimpsed, but not grasped. You don't Mm -hmm. really understand um, what's happening, and there's a loneliness and and isolation, a sense of self-preservedness that that occurs due to this confusion and this in-between that I think this this film does capture really, really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, as you mentioned, there's this amateur detective story, penis and journalist solving this crime, uh, of a mother who's being protected by her son, who's... Just it's so interesting in the context of the rapid changes spread by globalization impacting mm-hmm. Italy in the 70s, mm-hmm. too. Like, what is it that is a pianist and a journalist and a mother who's an actor mm-hmm. and whatever? I don't, it's yeah, unfinished thoughts, but yeah, it's so no,
1: no, I totally, I think I, yeah, I totally agree. It is like kind of like encapsulates these like how these like modern trappings are actually like not working or they're like they're failed yeah. in some sort of way like even there's so many scenes of people not being able to communicate communicate generally but then also like not being able to communicate over the telephone Yeah. at all there's a lot of like communication breakdowns absolutely and I think that also is connected to this idea of like memory and Marcus trying to remember what he has seen mm-hmm. it's very interesting it does I feel like it, there's a lot to do with yeah communication in different sort of ways and memory and yeah, that's really cool. Also, yeah, again to your to your point about it having like this very like theatrical feel to it. Um, in the one of the murder scenes, or in a in a flashback where it's Martha Carlos's mother um, describing, or or yeah, she is describing kind of like how she murdered her her husband because he was going to mm. institutionalize her. Yes on Christmas, and then he got boarded up into a wall. Her, like, memory, or her, her, that scene, is is framed like a stage play, in a really interesting way, and she has this, like, baby Jane makeup on, and she looks, like, crazed. And then it is this, like, family tableau on Christmas, that gets, like, as she's, like, first there's a scene of her in the kitchen where he's, like, telling her that he's gonna put her in a home, or whatever, and then she, like, in the next shot, she's, like, following him and stabbing him right the Christmas tree. And again, they both look like plays, but it's, Absolutely. like, her memory. It completely does. Kay, also, thank you for bringing
0: this up, the containment.
1: Containment, And it's yes. something we ta-
0: I, I think we might talk about later in regards to gender and you know, gender mm-hmm. roles. But the containment, the idea of, like, what spurs her, perhaps, to commit this violent act against her mm-hmm. husband at the time is because he's going to commit her to it a Home or whatever hospital, and and then in retaliation, I guess in a sense, she ends up boarding him up in this mm-hmm. room in the home. Like there's this idea of yeah containment and an inability to escape, perhaps, or the or containment being a threat, or containment mm-hmm. some some awareness of like uh, a pressure or a wall or a barrier. There's something there that is very interesting mm-hmm. in how this film. Yeah.
1: I love that. The idea of just, like, some, like some sort of, like, hidden away tableau where it's Christmas every day and there's this dead body. It's so
0: funny. <laughs> it's, it's so, so spooky. spooky. And also because when you first notice it, too, mm-hmm. it's through, like, what he's, like, scraping away the plaster and punching through the walls or yeah. whatever. And then there's, like, plaster that just, like, hits on some, like, dried foliage or some sort of mm-hmm. plant form. Mm-hmm. And it's like so eerie and spooky, spooky, spooky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good.
1: And again, with memory, there it's kind of you're kind of it's insinuated that Carlos has been drawing what has happened, right? Like yeah. on in a mural on the house that was then like covered up with yeah. plaster, and then in school. Why didn't they just clean it? Yeah. Why did they have to cover up
0: a children's with children's paint all plaster? Like, what was he making that with? Like, I don't know.
1: Again, it's something. like, it's like this doesn't exist right, in a, a logical a time Or <laughs> it's like, why did she lock up her husband in this walled up room? So spooky, so spooky. Um, so yeah, we touched on this a little bit, but um, Argento has often, is often accused of misogyny because of the portrayals of violence towards women in several of, the, of his films, mm-hmm. which is a complicated issue because I don't necessarily think that like violence, portrayals of violence against women is inherently misogynistic, mm-hmm. but um, also accused of misogyny because of how he treated his wife and co-writer, Dyer Nicolodi. Mm-hmm. He basically refused to credit her for her work on Suspiria. She was eventually credited for it, but even the like the night of the premiere, she had no idea if her name was going to be in the credits. Yes. Um, he also wrote her out and refused to credit her for Inferno and the rest of the Three Mothers trilogy, even though she came up with the original mythology. So fucked. Um, but yeah Yeah. so similar to the film noir giallo films examine anxiety surrounding modernity and I believe the feminist movement so like similar to your earlier comments about this sort of like Mm. ambivalence or worry about modernity and yeah deep red is an interesting interesting example because the men in the film are so ineffectual and inept so we have a scene where Marcus is making comments to um, Gianna Breezy um, about how women are weaker than men and it's and then she immediately, like, beats him in an arm wrestling like, yeah, match like or twice. whatever. Yeah. Like, she's obviously, like, better and smarter than him in every single way. But his comments are kind of, like, played as, like, silly rather than threatening. Yeah, like, he's an idiot. Yeah, he's an idiot. And he's <laughs> playing at being macho, but nobody seems to take him seriously. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering, like, is Mark is the Marcus character a proxy for Argento? Or is Argento kind of making fun of his own reputation?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that holds a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense, because yeah, this and how this film navigates that, like it's it's arguably like a whatever whatever a feminist film is, mm-hmm. who not know mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it 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 is in a way. He has, yeah, I found pers- this like
1: elements to elements it. to it, yeah, and or at least he's like poking fun at like his own he's poking misogyny or his, whatever yeah. his own ideas. But who knows if he's actually that
0: self-aware <laughs> Like, i yeah, uh, I mean, who knows.
1: But, but yeah, there
0: is, like, an interesting, I do think that you, like, because there is inherently a, I mean, perhaps a connection, is there always a connection between the director and protagonist, mm. or, but then what, what does that mean for his hands to be the killer's the killer. hands, yeah. too, like, what, what is his connection to, to so many of the characters? It yeah, is where is his, like,
1: identification, too. if there is any, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have a pretty, I have an interesting quote um, from an essay by Matt Carlin titled False Memories and Fearful Feminism, The Cinema of Dario Argento. In Deep Red, the director often accused of misogyny, tackles gender issues head on. David Hemming's character states that it is a fundamental fact that women are weaker while they're gentler than men. In fact, everything about Deep Red subverts this thinking. His female partner beats him at arm wrestling at the outset. Having had been... Having been had physically, Hemmings later on discusses how men have the monopoly on intelligence. He states this while both chasing a deranged female killer and being aided by another woman, neither of which are particularly gentle. On top of this, the plot turns on another impotent male. Hemmings is forced to watch the murder from a city street helpless.
0: Actually that makes me curious too. This is something that that like the I was gonna ask a bit about the um, how their relationship is portrayed.
1: Oh, in the US yeah. version. Yes, okay, that yeah, that's an interesting point. Because in the version that we originally watched, which I believe is the American or the US Cut, there is no really no sexuality between yeah. Gianna and Marcus. There's
0: almost like a, a
1: antagonism antagonism exactly it's no. not even tension like no they're, they're not there's like, like no sexual tension yeah. at all but then in the Italian one it's like it's mentioned several times that they like that they're sleeping together exactly it's heavily It's not like shown like, but yeah it's like implied completely. which is like why that's it's like such a yeah, why funny does need to be there. also
0: because she consistently consistently persistently like makes fun of him yeah
1: she's always making fun of him yeah it's very
0: funny They're. I can only fathom
1: whether sex life. is... Like. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that was kind of an annoying aspect of the Italian. Fit. Maybe it it's to like it raise so raise the stakes of their relationship to add more tension over. But there, there's no chemistry between there's them. No really, chemistry. there's like a playful, like maybe like brother sister.
0: You, <laughs> there is something about that that puts a little bit more context on the scene when she rescues him from mm-hmm. the fire, because that's like a quite a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And it perhaps puts that into context, but also this idea of like, oh, like her character, she's amazing. Yeah, I love Dariana, and how she exists so fully without a male counterpart. Mm-hmm. And but then I guess it, it speaks honestly to like her, her abilities or her character, whatever. Whereas even when coupled mm-hmm. loosely with this guy, she's still just this like. It doesn't make stand alone. Exactly. It it doesn't
1: even really impact her character or yeah, it's, it or yeah it's her her in her intentions, weird choice. It's so strange. But yeah. It's very funny to me. Um.
0: Yeah, so interesting. And and yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, this ambivalence towards modernity, and it does. I feel as though this film kind of like takes a piss out of the sexist notions which uphold. Modernity misogyny, Mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, exemplified by Marcus and Gianna's banter in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is something, okay, so this is something that I'm, for myself, still trying to figure out, but what are the uh, parameters of misogyny and sexism? Mm -hmm. So as philosopher Kate Mann delineates in her book, uh, Down Girl, the Logic of Misogyny, misogyny and sexism work hand-in-hand to uphold patriarchal social relations. So sexism is an ideology that says these arrangements just make sense, women mm-hmm. are just more caring, nurturing, or empathetic, mm-hmm. which is only true if you prime people by getting them to identify with the false gender binary. So sexism supports patriarchal social relations and misogyny enforces it uh, when this system is under threat of extinction. So this plays out, as you mentioned, quite subversively mm-hmm. in Gianna and Marcos' Marcus, Marcus. <laughs> <Marcos's> <laughs> relationship wherein she proves him wrong again and again and again. Mm-hmm. She's quick, she's smart, she's strong, she wears a blazer, She goes. So, yeah, I'm curious how this plays out in the context of the killer, who's a mother and who's an older woman who has killed her husband and whose gay son is killed in the process of trying to protect his mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the optimist in me, who really believes in the eradication of the, or the necessary, perhaps, mm-hmm. eradication of the forced gender binary and the necessary undoing of colonial patriarchal capitalism. And I kind of relish in the idea of the killer as attempting to free herself from the confines mm-hmm. of patriarchy or modernity or the brutal like, progress of capitalism. So in Thinking of Kate Mann, she writes how misogyny rewards women who reinforce the status quo and punishes those who don't. And this can be overlaid with many of the characters in the film, and it's really particularly heartbreaking. In the context of Martha and Carlo, who are both very much othered by a society Mm -hmm. which constricts Mm them and holds them. And as we mentioned before, there's such an interesting uh, thing, attention around confinement of roles in this film, whether gendered or job oriented. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I suppose that returns again to the modernity bit, but yeah, it makes me want to pay more attention to how Argento is working in space. And where there are moments of spaciousness, like the plaza and the theater, and confinement, uh, such as the small enclosed room where Maria entombs her dead husband in, and the small car that Gianna drives, and the tight shots on the eyeballs or like reflections enclosed in frames, uh, yeah, I it makes me I watch this film so many times, and I want to watch it again now. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's long,
1: but I, there's so much there. There's so much, it's but it's also like full of. Contradictions, yes because yes it does have these like you can argue like feminist themes but that at the end it's still like Marcus is the main character and these sort of other characters are I don't, yeah I, I don't know if like Carlos is like seen as deviant in any kind of way but Martha definitely is yeah but then again to think... or if Carlos is I guess is like brutally murdered it's so awful so yeah
0: but, he, but I think to think or to come back to what you were saying about like associating with the killer, mm-hmm. whether it be through the like camera work and gaze, our uh, perspective, and through the use of Argento's hands mm-hmm. and the killer's. Like there, I, I do think there is some sort of. I'm giving That's Argento too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> but I do wonder if there's like an association with. Yeah, with that, an awareness of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Marcus is a. I mean, he might be the protagonist, but he's he's such a he's a dweeb. He's such a lame one, and and when it's so apparent that he's the one that like the joke is on,
1: Mm -hmm. he's the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's like him and the cops are the butt of the jokes.
0: Oh gosh, the cops! Oh my god, the scene with the vending machine, the
1: sandwiches, so absurd. Yeah. All right, so yeah, that's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, You can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4pm on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. You can also find us on Instagram uh, and Twitter and the Facebook page. It's all Bikini Drive-In. I'm also, this is me plugging my own stuff. I hope that's okay. Um, I am the uh, programming coordinator at Winnipeg Cinematech and uh, we have a few events coming up. I've curated a new French extremity series that I'm very excited about so I'm screening yeah, very stoked so I'm screening Trouble Every Day, Baisemois Martyrs and Inside we'll also be hosting a discussion and live Q&A with FACTO4 co-host and writer um, Alexandra West so excited, Saturday, September 24th and she'll be zooming in she's based in Toronto she'll be zooming in
0: an interprovincial, oh, yeah. transprovincial <laughs> discussion.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. Yeah. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, so come watch some gnarly movies. Yeah. It'll be weird. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna be delightful. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, can I just say one more thing about space and containment? Please, please do. Marcus has claustrophobia. Yes. Yes. That's what I just have to say that.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I feel yeah. like I need to read more on like the use of space in this film. <laughs> That's it's, get, it's especially get, because there's like really dead dad in the goal. Christmas room. Yeah. <laughs> really getting my go. <sighs>
0: okay. Anyway, so yes, yeah. New French Extremity. Let's watch these films and think about
1: states. <laughs> Let's oh, <that's> feel weird <laughs> publicly. I'm very worried. I'm going to get like hate mail for programming and these movies. movies. <laughs> uh,
0: what do people want to have programmed? Like, yeah, the new Cinderella. <laughs> what do people, watch <laughs> what people want? <laughs> no these films were fantastic and I feel like you and Alexandra talking about them through like a very critical smart lens putting it on a you know in putting the films in context Mm -hmm. I feel like that is something that particularly if there's certain things that like bother you or upset you Mm -hmm. or like figuring out why that is in that context is is always so I think it's worth doing. thank you
1: I feel like this is also connected to our comment about violence against women is it inherently misogynistic context context for sure totally and we'll talk about it because we have a new French new French extremity film that we'll be talking about I'm so excited very sad yeah it's going to be delightful should we spoil it (gasps) no no okay no spoilers no spoilers okay bye thank you for listening (laughs) Bye!
0: Powered by volunteer community involvement, this is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.